You're listening to Indigo Radio on Brattleboro Radio Station, um, WVEWLP 107.7 FM, your community radio station. We are also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio. We're deepening understanding and making connections. We're on the air every Sunday at one o'clock. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud and on iTunes podcast. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook. Just look for Indigo Radio and we're also on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. My name is Nina Kunimoto, and I am an educator in the Spark Teacher Education Institute, and I'm also involved with Brattleboro Solidarity. Um, and today, our topic is poetry. Uh, I interviewed Mohammed Musa of the Gaza Poet Society, and I talked to him about poetry, about coffee, about cardamom, and the Israeli assault on Gaza. And he shares some of his poetry with us. And I share back a poetry and have him um, tell me what he thinks about a, a poem that, that I shared with him. Um, if you're interested in poetry, Indigo Radio has interviewed Martin Espada and Lauren Marie Schmidt. About two years ago, you can find the recording on SoundCloud. I don't think you can find it on iTunes podcast because it was before we um, started uploading onto iTunes podcast. So, but you can find it on SoundCloud, and I will link it to our Facebook page when I um, upload this show on our Facebook page. Um, and so, Martin Espada and Lauren Marie Schmidt talk about their work and teaching and how they use poetry to critically examine and talk about the world. And so today I talked with Muhammad Musa about his work and what it's like living in Gaza and writing poetry under Israeli occupation. Um, before I play my first favorite spoken word, uh, I'd like to um, introduce a Palestine study group. Um, there, the study group begins this week on Wednesdays. It'll be four Wednesdays, July 21st, 28th, August 4th, and 11th. The first meeting will be on Zoom because of the weather and other things. But um, after that, I believe um, the meeting will be in person at the Brattleboro Commons. And there will simultaneously, there will be a Zoom session. So there'll be two meetings. Um, so if you would like to come and want more, want to get the readings, or if you want to just get the readings, which are also incredibly useful, um, please email Brattleboro Solidarity, B-R-A-T-T-L-E-B-O-R-O-S-O-L-I-D-A-R-I-T-Y, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, so we're going to start out with a song, not a song, a spoken word. 
that uh, I've used in my courses and I know other professors have played it in, in courses that I've taken in Boston. Um, and there will be a, a bleep in the middle there somewhere because it is um, explicit. But uh, please uh, listen, have a listen to um, Ashley Davis and Oompa with a spoken word from the 2016 National Poetry Slam Finals in Atlanta called Simon Says. The game is Simon Says. You know how it goes. When Simon Says do an action, you do an action. But you're only supposed to do an action if Simon Says. Ready? Simon Says, raise your right hand. Simon Says, put your right hand down. Simon Says, raise your left hand. Put your left hand down. Oh, Simon didn't say. Y'all look good. Okay, Simon Says, put your left hand down now. Cross your arms. No. Simon didn't say cross your arms. You need to make sure you're listening. Okay, Simon Says, smile. Show us your teeth. You're only as valuable as you are able. Simon says, raise your right hand again. Wave. Why are you waving? You don't know how to listen? You must not be a good listener at home. Simon says, it's not time for a bathroom break. You go when Simon says. Eat when Simon says. Leave this room when Simon says. There's only one rule. Only, only do what Simon says. Simon says, only speak when you are told to speak. Simon says, speak to your neighbor now. Why isn't everyone speaking now? You chose to play this game, now you're choosing not to play? How dare you ruin it for everyone else? Simon says it's still not time for a bathroom break and stop asking. Simon says you're not listening. People that don't listen will never be successful. You know what? They don't even care. They don't. Just take out a book and shut up. Read. Simon says read. Simon says it's time to file in the hallways now. One behind the other. Straight side of the line, tight to the right. Simon says if you can't be silent, how will you hear what Simon is telling you to do? Silence. I, I said, said be silent. Simon said, said be silent. Simon said only 20 minutes to eat your lunch and be silent. Eat faster. Eat faster. Simon says sit up straight and be still. Simon says tuck in your uniform. You don't want to tuck in your uniform? Go sit in the, the corner. corner. Simon says if you can't handle this classroom, how will you handle your jail cell? Simon says, you will refer to it as Officer Simon from here on. And Officer Simon says, know your place. Officer Simon says, show your teeth, boy. You're only as valuable as you are able. Officer Simon says, put your hand down. We don't raise hands here. There are no questions here. Officer Simon says, you must not be a good listener at home. At this rate, you'll not be going back home. Officer Simon says, you will speak only when you are told to speak. Officer Simon says, speak to your cellmate now. Why aren't you speaking now? You chose to play this game, now you're choosing not to play. How dare you ruin it for everyone else? Officer Simon says it's still not time for a bathroom break and stop asking. Officer Simon says you're not listening. People that don't listen will never be successful. Officer Simon said it's time to file in the hallways again, one behind the other. Straight side of the line, tight to the right. Officer Simon says if you can't be silent, how will you hear what Officer Simon is telling you to do? Silence. I said be silent. Officer Simon said be silent. Fix your uniform. Fix your face when you're talking to me. Clean your butt. So sit up straight and be still, be still, be still. Officer Simon says if you can't handle your jail cell, how will you handle your casket? Um, with Muhammad Musa of Gaza Poet Society. Um, and this is the interview. And I start out by asking him about... Um, how he makes coffee. And the reason why I asked him that is because in one of his um, podcasts, which you can listen to um, if you look up um, Gaza Guy, that's the name of his podcast, um, he talks about his life in Gaza, 
um, his life under occupation. And one of the things he said was that he loves coffee. So I just wanted him to start out talking about um, how he makes coffee. So this is, hold on, our interview. Somebody I know actually puts cardamom in her coffee and I started putting cardamom in my coffee. So tell us once again how you make the coffee. And then you said something about, I could, you were breaking up, but you were saying something about Italian coffee. So tell us how you make coffee and how you like your coffee. Uh, as I grew up drinking my coffee with cardamom, honestly, um, I, like, I like the smell of cardamom, the taste of cardamom in coffee. So I would boil the water for, uh, less than five minutes then put two spoons of coffee for one uh, big cup of, of coffee for the mug i would put two big spoons uh make a make it boil for make it boil like around two to three times then uh put uh pour the coffee from the pot in a, in a mug and i drink it that's it uh what about the italian coffee recently became a fan of the Italian coffee and um, yeah I like the taste of the coffee the pure taste of the coffee like there you don't add anything and it still tastes good and smells good that's what I like about it yeah I like very strong coffee like um I have my cup here can I ask you I want to hear you did you do you put the cardamom in the water and boil it together with the coffee or do you put it in the mug and then you put the coffee in well uh, if you if you drink the coffee with a cardamom actually you put it after the coffee is ready you put like a uh, cardamom in your mug or while it's boiling but you don't put the cardamom before you put the coffee ah uh, okay um i just wanted to know your technique uh, yes i agree with you cardamom is my favorite spice it has such a beautiful smell the, it's also the favorite for the arabs because they added on everything like they added uh, food uh, coffee maybe yeah. in tea come out i also i think it's also a, a um a middle eastern arab spice called i don't know if, if it's the same name in arabic but sumac I, do you know that? Sumac. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The budget on hummus. Oh, yes. It's very fresh uh, flavor and taste. I love it. Yeah. We have a lot of sumac trees where I live here. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're lucky then. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for joining um, me in a conversation. Some of my friends know you and follow you, um, but maybe <laughs> a lot of our listeners, yeah, a lot of our listeners might not know who you are and what you do and what is the Gaza Poets Society. So if you could introduce yourself and, and introduce the Gaza Poets Society to our listeners. My name is uh, Muhammad Musa, 27-year-old Palestinian uh, poet. Uh, journalist uh, and podcast host. Uh, I have a BA in English literature. Uh, uh, recently published my debut poetry collection, 
Flamengo, uh, contributed in, uh, in publishing the first anthology uh, uh, of poetry from Gaza by including the voices of young poets in Gaza in a book uh, titled Love and Laws in 2019, helped to form the first spoken word community in Gaza Gaza Poet Society and also helped to form the first uh, podcast from Gaza uh, in English, or the, most, the first podcast from Gaza was Gaza Guy podcast. I'm just curious, you said you studied English literature. That's not my area of um, like study. Um, why did you choose English literature and what are some of your favorite literature? First of all, it was a way to uh... I like literature since I was a kid, but and it's I to study English literature is to study the world literature. So that was the key to this uh, major will allow me to read literature in all languages because English is international. So a lot of people will translate their literature into English. So it allowed me to know other cultures, other literatures, and read and explore and get to know. I didn't even think about that. You're absolutely right. Um, I mean, pretty much all, a lot, most most things are are translated in English. Wow, that's great. So it might not be English literature, but is there literature that you really love, um, has always loved, or? That inspired you? The Arabic literature and the English literature both inspired me as well. So I, I like both. And uh, Russian literature maybe. Russian literature? Because, because we used to, to read it uh, translated into Arabic. Oh, interesting. Do you have any authors, like writers that you really like? Because it could be uh, like a kind of time, Palestinian author. Uh, so good with the names, not so good with the names, sorry. It's okay, don't worry. <laughs> uh, poets uh, like Mahmoud Awish, uh, Mary Oliver, uh, Denise Elliott, Babu Merwada, Hassan, uh, uh, we said Hassan Garifani, Nizar Qabbani. Uh, yeah. I know Mary Oliver, I mean, I think I know T.S. Eliot. I really like Mary Oliver. I have one of her books. Um, I like her style of writing. Yeah, yeah, so cute. A lot of nature, and um, she fo she focuses on nature a lot, so I like it. In the past, like I've taught, you know, about art and about resistance, and I would always include um, uh, hip hop artists. And of course, I mean, you know, hip hop is is poetry. You know, music is coupled with poetry, um, and so I would show a video about these Palestinian um, hip hop artists. And, and so one of them was Ramallah Underground. Um, and this, one of the artists said, you know, that the tanks roll on the streets and F-16 planes flying over the house. And then another rap artist, G-Town, he said, if you open the window and look outside, you can make 10 albums. And so, when I read your article about, you know, making poetry, immediately like my connections in my head came to these statements that I remember because they're very powerful statements. And so, you know, these artists are, are very, they try to show the suffering and, sh and show 
you know, as what what is his name? Da uh, Mah Mahmoud from the group Dam. He said, you know, that he was inspired by Tupac Shakur because the, the experience of African-Americans and Palestinians are the, sa are the same, right? Um, or similar background of a racist state, he said. You, you know, you, you, you write about, in your podcast, you say that you want to just focus, you want, you want to focus on people's lives about life, right? And I noticed that about your uh, podcast, and I really love that. And so can you tell me, for, you know, what do you think about why, why poetry is so powerful for the young people who are writing poetry in Gaza? And why is it powerful for us who listen to your poetry? I think poetry is is so important. I don't know why it's so important in our lives, but when you go through a hard time and uh, you write down what you, what you have been through or what you experienced, uh, it feels lighter than before. You don't know why. Is it because of poetry? Maybe. But it feels lighter and it looks better. So. I don't know if what I will say or how I describe poetry as the sugar of misery, uh, uh, because it makes your your misery or your terrible experience uh, a little bit uh, beautiful. No matter how hard what uh, what you have been through or what you still go through, uh, when you write it in poetry, it feels like a little bit better. And I remember, like, always go back to the first time I wrote poetry, which was during the wartime, 2014. Uh, I wrote my first poem, and I felt like how my message was delivered to the people uh, through poetry way, way better than telling them in a story what happened or in a news headline. But in a poetry, I felt that the world would listen more. So it's also uh, easy on the ears. The young people there, the way they like use poetry to express themselves and to get rid of the word of the heavy words on, in their throats that that are choking them, that was inspiring to see. Like they using poetry as as a medicine, and they call it it's a free medicine. Then. So that's why they uh, they are inspiring too. The young people who are using poetry as as an outlet, as an escape from what they're I think, like, I agree with you that I, I love how you say um, that poetry is the, is the sugar of mystery. <laughs> You're so poetic. I was, I've been thinking about poetry, you know, in the last few days. Um, and in general, I love poetry. But it gets, it, it's like, a, um, I guess it's like a knife sometimes. Like, it, really, you can cut to the very emotion or the very situation. And I wonder if that also is part of the power of poetry and also why it lasts so long. Like, you know, we read poetry, I don't know, you know, like, gosh, Khalil Gibran, for example, like, you know, um, or T.S. Eliot, you know, people from a long time ago, like these things last a long time and affect us for a long time. Do you have a poem that you would like to share with us and, and tell us like why, what it means and um, 
why it's important. That's a poem I wrote. It's, uh, it talks about freedom of expression, uh, freedom of movement, uh, freedom of will in Gaza. Um, doesn't have a title, but I will start reading and the lessons will choose a title. It says, uh, to what extent can't I be free? In this faceless place, to what extent shouldn't I be? With my voice visiting every corner in the city, how many walls should crumble before you understand that I have nothing but my voice to carry me? Standing on the blue shore, I'll sing for my city, for the kids in my neighborhood, the moons in the gray houses and their absentees, for the right to be free. I sing in the streets with my hair blowing louder than words, holding my guitar, leaving my love afar. God, that's really beautiful. I can, I ima- I see, I mean, I think that's one um, beautiful thing about poetry is it's, it's visual. Um, yeah, yeah. See the person walking with their hair flowing in the moon. Um, tell us a little bit about like what this poem means or what inspired you to write this poem. Sometimes in Gaza would face a limitation of freedoms, the way you express yourself, the way you move. It's not easy to express everything you feel, uh, to talk about whatever you want. It's not easy to travel freely without restrictions. It's not uh, free, it's not uh, uh, priceless to be, uh, to, be, uh, to be who you are. Yeah, it's always costly, no matter what you do, no matter what you try. You will always face limitation of freedom, you will always face uh, uh, you will always face difficulties and challenges in different shapes and different forms. To at least be yourself, to at least express who you are. It's always going to be difficult. It's our rights to travel whenever we want. It's our rights to move whenever we want, to speak about whatever we want. It's our right to be who we are. But still, we can't be who we are. We can't go whatever we want. Your explanation reminds me of something um, I read recently. So some of us here, um, we've studied for a long time, but, you know, currently because of of the Israeli bombings and, and violence against Palestinians, we are studying again um, about Palestine. And there's an author... Um, his name is Samir Amin, and he wrote uh, an article called Political Islam. And in this article, he said that, you know, the actions or the project of the Israeli state is that of, of um, I mean, it's obviously a war crime, but it's also what they're doing is trying to erase the existence of Palestinian people. So I, so what you explained about freedom and limitations just really reminded me of that. Um, and, you know, I feel like the poetry that you're writing just kind of push, push, tries to push against that kind of, that violence of, of um, being erased. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we're the only nation who are fighting for their existence. Like, it couldn't be worse than that. Yeah, I know. Um, the people that we exist, like, we fight for that. Like, come on. Yeah. So it just really reminded me, like, when, when you talk about freedom and limitations and being able to say things um, and just be, you know, just be a human being. Um, uh, your article and some of your podcast shows reminded me of, and one of them is Tupac Shakur, uh, who was, um, he passed, who was uh, an African-American poet, but also a hip hop artist. And this is his poem. It's called The Rose That Grew From Concrete. So, uh, did you hear about the rose that grew from a crack in the concrete? Proving nature's law is wrong. It learned to walk out, walk without having feet. Funny it seems, but by keeping its dreams, it learned to breathe fresh air. Long live the rose that grew from concrete when no one else ever cared. Your poem, not your poem, but your article that you wrote, and I found it in many different places about, you know, writing during a time of war, um, just immediately reminded me of this poem. What are your thoughts about uh, Tupac Shakur's poem? I think the poem is, is too strong, to be honest. Like, it's... Uh... Uh, it's one of the poets in the article said something about uh, poetry that is that flower that grew between. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it descri describe it described poetry as a flower. So uh, new poem said that. Tupac's uh, poem said that. So you uh, say that poetry was that flower that grow uh, that could grow amongst the wars, amongst the miseries of Gaza. The writers and the poets still can fight poetry, still can perform poetry, no matter how dangerous what they're going through or how difficult it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you have maybe one, another one of your poems or, um, or a poem of another young writer that you would like to share with us? Well, there are poems that uh, were written by a group of poets uh, from Gaza Poets Society who would gather and write something together. So, and they were very strong. Uh, so I'm just looking for the poem. So I shared with you, here it is. It says, Dear Society, I'm so good at living my own life. There are stories here you can't see. So don't even try to drop your thoughts on me. God has gifted me a conscience as he gifted you yours. I'm on the way of becoming and you are only allowed to give me your love. You can't plant the seeds of your thoughts inside of us. I have to let the poem sink in, but what, what are, what's your interpretation um, of the poem? Uh, the members were sending a message to the society, like, you cannot tell us uh, who we should be. Like, we can be ourselves and we will be ourselves. Uh, 
God has given me a conscience like he gives you yours. So take care of your business. Uh, do not uh, think too much of what should I do and what shouldn't I do. Like you have a mind, I have a mind, you have a brain. I mean, you have a brain, I have a brain. So we both uh, should mind our own business and not interfere with each other, uh, each other's actions or or each other's personalities or what each, each one of us should do and should not do. Mm. Because I, I don't live in Gaza, I'm just curious, um, is there a pressure on young people in Gaza by by society? And what kind of pressure is that? Uh, there is a pressure. Uh, uh, that the, the concept of a pressure has different forms there. Like, you have the pressure of living in a besieged city, living under occupation, uh, experiencing wars, experiencing poverty, uh, worrying about the future, worrying about studying, worrying about your personal life. So they uh, go through a lot. They experience a lot. And they cannot enjoy uh, that time of their lives that should be the time where, should, where they should spend uh, spend it uh, in, in parties or be or being themselves or achieving their dreams or uh, living their lives or living their dreams. What? But the opposite happens for them. They experience wars. They're not allowed to be themselves. They're not not allowed to to speak freely, to move freely, to be who they really are, to live in. To marry who who, who they love, uh, where they can meet the ones they love, they can still live together despite the wars. If they will die, if they will, so that the pressure is different. It has different forms out there. It's not just one one thing. It's a lot of things that they face and they threaten and threaten their future and threaten their personalities and and uh, their realities. That was, that's great. Um, thank you for the for the explanation. That's very powerful. And you know, and that's a context that 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 I not that my gut. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WVEW LP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Um, so that if you're just joining us now, that was an interview with Mohammed Musa. Um, he started the Gaza Poet Society, and he also has a podcast called Gaza Guy, and I encourage everyone to um, check it out. You could find it, I, um, I think, on you can find it on iTunes podcast, but definitely on SoundCloud. And I will put a link to his podcast on um, the Indigo Radio Facebook. So our topic for today is poetry, um, and I interviewed uh, Muhammad Musa. Um, and for him to talk about, you know, for him to talk about poetry in general, but his poetry is definitely contextualized by the Israeli occupation of Gaza. Um, and before I go on the, the song break, I just want to um, plug the, the Palestine study group that will begin this Wednesday, um, either face-to-face -face, um, in the Brattleboro Commons or on Zoom. Um, for four Wednesdays from six to eight. Um, and I think it's important to understand that this is not a, a religious war. 
Um, in the Middle East, uh, you know, that's been going on for forever and ever. It is an imperialist war that took shape uh, during World War I. Um, and it is continuing to take shape. And I think it's really important to, to not dismiss um, the U.S. involvement in creating um, the conflict and, and to connect it with, with people's lives and, and, and the taking away of, of, of just having an ordinary life. I'm not under occupation. So in um, one of the things that um, listening to Mohammed Musa's podcast reminded me of another uh, spoken word artist. Um, her name is Rafif Ziada. Um, and she has this spoken word, which is incredibly powerful. Um, and I, I, I play it in, in my classrooms um, to really bring home... Uh, what it what is happening there um in gaza and her spoken word is called we teach life sir starts with this poem i wrote this poem when the bombs were dropping on gaza and i was the media spokesperson for the coalition uh, doing a lot of the organizing and we had stayed up to about six o'clock in the morning perfecting every sound bite and by the end if you're Palestinian you know most Palestinians get tired and start pronouncing our P's as B's so we become Palestinians by the end of the day so I was practicing my P's all night and the next morning um, one of the journalists asked me don't you think it would all be fine if you just stop teaching your children to hate um, I did not insult the person, I was very polite, uh, but I wrote this poem uh, as a response to these types of questions we Palestinians always get. Today, my body was a TV'd massacre. Today, my body was a TV'd massacre that had to fit into sound bites and word limits. Today, my body was a TV'd massacre that had to fit into sound bites and word limits filled enough with statistics to counter measured response. And I perfected my English and I learned my UN resolutions. But still, he asked me, Ms. Ziada, don't you think everything would be resolved if you would just stop teaching so much hatred to your children? Pause. I look inside of me for strength to be patient, but patience is not at the tip of my tongue as the bombs drop over Gaza. Patience has just escaped me. Pause. Smile. We teach life, sir. Rafif, remember to smile. Pause. We teach life, sir. We, Palestinians, teach life after they have occupied the last sky. We teach life after they have built their settlements and apartheid walls. After the last skies, we teach life, sir. But today, my body was a TV'd massacre made to fit into sound bites and word limits. And just give us a story, a human story. You see, this is not political. We just want to tell people about you and your people. So give us a human story. Don't mention that word apartheid and occupation. This is not political. You have to help me as a journalist to help you tell your story, which is not a political story. Today, my body was a TV'd massacre. How about you give us a story of a woman in Gaza who needs medication. How about you? Do you have enough bone broken limbs to cover the sun? Hand me over your dead and give me the list of their names in 1,200 word limits. 
today. My body was a TV'd massacre made to fit into sound bites and word limits and move those that are desensitized to terrorist blood. But they felt sorry. They felt sorry for the cattle over Gaza. So I give them UN resolutions and statistics and we condemn and we deplore and we reject and these are not two equal sides, occupier and occupied, and a hundred dead, two hundred dead, and a thousand dead. And between that war crime and massacre, I vent out words and smile, not exotic, smile, not terrorist. And I recount, I recount, a hundred dead, two hundred dead, a thousand dead. Is anyone out there? Will anyone listen? I wish I could wail over their bodies. I wish I could just run barefoot in every refugee camp and hold every child, cover their ears so they wouldn't have to hear the sound of bombing for the rest of their life the way I do. Today, my body was a TV'd massacre and let me just tell you, there is nothing your UN resolutions have ever done about this. And no soundbite, no soundbite I come up with no matter how good my English gets. No soundbite, no soundbite, no soundbite, no soundbite will bring them back to life. No soundbite will fix this. We teach life, sir. We teach life, sir. We Palestinians wake up every morning to teach the rest of the world life, sir. Programming on WVEW is underwritten in part by Everyone's Books. Located in downtown Brattleboro at 25 Elliott Street, Everyone's Books is a family-owned, independent bookstore that has been serving the community for over 30 years. They specialize in books about social change, the environment, politics, and travel, and offer a huge range of children's books. You can reach them by phone at 802-254-8160 or online via their website at everyonesbks.com. WVEW thanks Everyone's Books for their support of this station. Yes, thank you, Everyone's Books, for supporting WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. You are listening to Indigo Radio. We are on every Sunday at 1 o'clock. Um, we're a group of educators, uh, social justice educators who um, are making connections um, with our local community and with the world. And our topic today is um, poetry. And if you're just joining us, I interviewed um, Mohammed um, Musa um, of the Gaza Poet Society. And we just heard um, Rafif Ziada um, performing a, a spoken word called We Teach Life, Sir. Um, and I just want to point out that, you know, that I think in the U.S. media, uh, Palestine is not covered, hardly. Um, it is covered through the eyes um, of Israelis and supporting Israel. Um, and, and, and as she said, viewing uh, Palestinians as terrorists. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it, what she, the point for Rafif Ziada also is that it is not just a human story, but it is also a political story. And I think it's really important to understand the historical context of why the conflict is happening. Um, and so just, uh, 
Wednesdays, if you can, um, please join Brattleboro Solidarity in learning the political economy of the Israeli occupation. Um, what political economy means is um, how how or how society is organized. It's the study of how societies form and how people organize themselves to um, produce what they need within the society. Um, so. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to share uh, for the last 15 or so minutes of our show, I'm going to share some uh, of my favorite poetry um, by one. Uh, it's not her poem, but I just love her voice. Her voice is so soothing, um, but she also has amazing poetry. Um, she was I think last year, the year before, um, the U.S. Poet Laureate. Um, her name is Tracy K. Smith. And if you haven't listened to the uh, podcast, um, or you can also listen to it online, The Slowdown. It's absolutely amazing. And what I love even more, not just Tracy K. Smith's wonderful, beautiful voice, um, and also the the when she introduces poetry, it is so poetic and and. Yeah, um, you just have to listen to it. It's also that she chooses poets who um, are African-American or who are from Africa or, or Asian-American. And so you get a variety of poets um, with a variety of voices. And so today um, I chose a poem that she reads um, on her show. I'm going to play part of her show where she reintroduces and reads the poem When Fanny Lou Hamer Said by Mahogany L. Brown. In science fiction, and perhaps in science, there is talk of portals, wormholes, Places where the laws of space and time seem to buckle or disappear. Places where you can get from the point where you are to a point in the past or the future, just like that. Sometimes it feels to me that we have arrived at one of those portals. Sometimes it feels to me that we have crossed paths with the battles of the past, Battles for the rights of Black people in America to live where we want, to vote, to enjoy protection under the law, and to be genuinely free. For people of my generation, who grew up believing these battles had long ago been won, sometimes it feels that we are marching alongside our forebears— it feels as though we have been yanked out of 2020 and dragged back to the struggle for civil rights. Today's poem reminds me that the work of American heroes like civil rights leader and voting rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer is not finished. It continues through the many surges of hatred and violence against Black people. It continues through the many barriers to true democracy erected by the criminally corrupt. Hamer's home was shot at by white supremacists seeking to bar blacks from registering to vote. She was arrested and beaten nearly to death by Mississippi police enforcing white supremacist laws. Hamer's work is not done. It continues through you and me, any of us courageous enough to become agents 
for justice. This is Mahogany L. Brown's When Fannie Lou Hamer said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, she meant no more turned cheek, no more patience for the obstruction of Black woman's right to vote and plant and feed her family. She meant equality will cost you your luxurious life if a Black woman can't vote, if a brown baby can't be fed, if we all don't have the same opportunity America promised. She meant, ain't no mountain boulder enough to wan off a determined woman. She meant, here, look at my hands. Each palm holds a history of the 16 shots that chased me harm-free from a plantation shack. Look at my eyes. Both these are windows these little lights of mine. She meant nothing but death can stop me from marching out a jail cell still a free woman. She meant nothing but death can stop me from running for Congress. She meant no blackjack beating will stop my feet from working and my heart from swelling and my mouth from praying. She meant America, you will learn freedom feels like butter beans, potatoes, and cotton seeds picked by my sturdy hands. She meant, look, Victoria Gray, Anna Devine, and me in our rightful seats on the house floor. She meant, until my children and my children's children and they babies too can march and vote and get back in interest what was planted in this blessed land. She meant, I ain't stopping America. I ain't stopping America. Not even death can take away from my woman's hands what I've rightfully earned. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio. That was Tracy K. Smith reading the poem um, When Fanny Lou Hamer Said by Mahogany L. Brown. Um, Tracy K. Smith was a U.S. Poet Laureate, and um, if you get a chance to uh, read some of her poetry, she wrote a book, uh, Wade in the Water, which is uh, amazing, um, so check it out. Um, I really love that poem because it really connects with what um, Muhammad Musa was saying about freedom, um, about being and about being able to put food on the table um, without violence. And so um, I, I really found that connection with that particular poem. Um, another poem that I would like to read um, is Bertold Brecht, um, that he lived in the 1920s, 1930s in Germany. Um, and there's a really, there's a poem that we use often in uh, Spark Teacher Education Institute. Um, and this poem is called Questions from a Worker Who Reads. So I will be doing the reading. Um, Questions from a Worker Who Reads. Who built Thebes of the Seven Gates? In the books, you will find the names of kings, 
did the kings haul up the lumps of rock? And Babylon, many times demolished, who raised it up so many times? In what houses of gold glittering Lima did the builders live? Where the evenings that the wall of China was finished, did the masons go? Great Rome is full of triumphal arches. Who erected them? Over whom did the Caesars triumph? Had Byzantium much praised in song? Only palaces for its inhabitants? Even in fabled Atlantis, the night the ocean engulfed it, the drowning still bawled for their slaves. The young Alexander conquered India. Was he alone? Caesar beat the Gauls. Did he not have even a cook with him? Philip of Spain wept when his armada went down. Was he the only one to weep? Frederick II won the Seven Years' War. Who else won it? Every page of victory. Who cooked the feast for the victors? Every ten years, a great man? Who paid the bill? So many reports and so many questions. And that was by Bertolt Brecht, um, Questions from a Worker Who Reads. Um, again, I will link all of these poems that I'm playing and reading um, on Facebook, Indigo Radio's Facebook page. So look out for that. Um, I really like, love that poem by Brecht because it really questions history. Um, it questions who does the work, the laboring, right? Who does, um, who picks the food that we eat and that's, that comes to our table? Um, so those are really important questions. Who builds the buildings and who gets to live in those buildings? Um, so that's um, a good poem to think about. And uh, I'm looking at the time. Um, I will quickly read. Mm, sorry. So many poems to choose from. I want to read. Um, I'd love to read Langston Hughes' Landlord. But I don't think there's enough time because there's another one I really want to read really quickly by Paul Robeson. Um, and then I want to um, close out the show with a reading um, by Stacey Ann Chin of a poem by Marge Piercy called The Low Road. But here's, um, and I'll link the Langston Hughes poem to our Facebook page so you can read it, or you might already know it. But um, Paul Robeson, this was a speech uh, in support of the Spanish Republic. And he said, the artist must take sides. He must elect to fight for freedom or slavery. I have made my choice. I had no alternative. The history of the capitalist era is characterized by the degradation of my people. If you don't know who Paul Robeson is, he was an African-American singer, actor, athlete, and civil rights activist. Um, and he made this particular speech, or this was part of that speech, I believe, um, at a rally to support refugee children in the Spanish Civil War. 
Um, and I read this from a book called Book of Descent. All right. Um, before I play the last poem, The Low Road, which is really um, another inspiring poem that I know that I've, I've read and others have read um, around me uh, in our Spark Teacher Education Institute and other spaces. Um, before I read that, I'm going to just a couple more announce, couple of announcements that I announced in the beginning. Again, um, we are starting a the Brattleboro Solidarity is starting a Palestine study group. Um, they're meeting on Wednesdays face to face um, at the Brattleboro Commons in the gazebo, starting this Wednesday, July 21st. It'll be for four Wednesdays from six to eight p.m. It'll simultaneously happen on Zoom for those who cannot make it in person. Um, so if you would like to join our discussion about Palestine and the historical context of Palestine, or if you just want the readings, please email Brattleboro Solidarity, B-R-A-T-T-L-E-B-O-R-O-S-O-L-I. D-A-R-I-T-Y, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, Spark Teacher Education Institute is also sponsoring a music camp from August 9th through the 13th in Putney, Vermont, for youth ages 11 to 17. Um, younger children are welcome to register. Please call 802-451-0291. And here is the poem by March Piercy, The Low Road, um, read by Stacy Ann Chin. What can they do to you? Whatever they want. They can set you up, they can bust you, they can break your fingers, they can burn your brain with electricity, blur you with drugs till you can't walk, can't remember. They can take your child wall up your lover, they can do anything and you can't blame them from doing. How can you stop them? Alone, you can fight, you can refuse, you can take what revenge you can, but they roll over you. But two people fighting back to back can cut through a mob, a snake dancing file can break a cordon, an army can meet an army. Two people can keep each other sane, can give support, conviction, love, massage, hope, sex. Three people are a delegation, a committee, a wedge. With four, you can play bridge and start an organization. With six, you can rent a whole house, eat pie for dinner with no seconds, and hold a fundraising party. A dozen can make a demonstration, a hundred fill a hall, a thousand have solidarity and your own newsletter, 10,000 power and your own paper, a hundred thousand your own media, 10 million your own country. It goes on one at a time. It starts when you care to act. It starts when you do it again after they said no, it starts when you say we, and you know what you mean. And each day, you mean one more.
that a sudden 